Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have one of the greatest, not only NBA players and shooters, but my friend and former teammate, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, who's the subject of a hit documentary on Showtime, which debuts February 3rd called Stand. Coming up, I've talked to Mahmoud about when he fell in love with basketball, the impact that growing up poor had on his life, and what it was like navigating his Tourette syndrome, which went misdiagnosed for years. Up next, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Let's go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. This week's theme is gratitude. This past weekend, I celebrated a major milestone. I hit the Fab Five. Oh, yes, I turned 50. The kid that got introduced to the lexicon as a teenager at the University of Michigan. The name Jalen officially has turned 50. Like a lot of people on their birthdays, it's a time to reflect on life. In particular, I'm really fortunate for the one I've been able to navigate and create for myself. And the feeling that just keeps coming back to me is gratitude. I'm so very thankful for another year. I'm especially thankful to my family, my friends, my loved ones, anybody that's ever believed in me personally or professionally, giving me positive encouragement emotionally, psychologically, people that have continued to uplift me throughout the years. I'm so very grateful on all levels, especially my late mother, Jeannie Cassandra Rose, who on February 2nd, it'll be two years since we laid her to rest. I just want to say rest in peace, Ma. I love and miss you very much. And also, 
I'm extremely thankful for my career in multimedia. I've covered the NBA Finals on television over 20 years, suited and booted, fresh haircuts. I've seen so many champions, and I've seen so many things happen in our lexicon, politically, professionally, and athletically. I'm thankful for my years and not only playing the game I love, but I'm also thankful to hip-hop because it's been the soundtrack of my life as it's also turning 50 this year. And last, but certainly not least, I'm thankful to you, listeners, who check out the Renaissance Man each week and refer your friends, your family, your coworkers, your siblings to this good old-fashioned soul food. And remember that gratitude is an attitude. So have the courage. Yeah, I use that word. Courage to surround yourself with this kind of energy day to day, week to week, month to month, year round, as you continue on your journey. My next guest is someone that I'm extremely grateful for. As a rookie in the NBA, I admired his professionalism, his discipline, his attention to detail, and he has one of the best ball handling yet jump shooting combinations in the history of the game. He would be Steph Curry today. He's one of the most talented players, not only from high school, but college and LSU, but through his career in the NBA. He's also my friend. Coming up, I talked to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf about what it was like seeing so many icons participate in his new documentary, the role that faith plays in his life to this day and what advice he has for others on how not just to live, but thrive while having a disability. Up next, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. My next guest is a basketball prodigy. My former teammate, who's one of the greatest shooters and ball handlers that the NBA has ever seen. He has a new documentary coming out on February 3rd called Stan. You see this hoodie that I'm rocking? You gotta go out and cop one. It is my honor to represent the incredible Mahmoud Abdul Raouf to the Renaissance Man podcast. Thank you, my brother. Man, thank you even more. I appreciate you. So give me a snapshot in the audience. I know your history. You know how much I love you and a fan of your background and everything you accomplished. But give our readers and listeners a snapshot of what it was like growing up in Gulfport, Mississippi. 
Oh, man, about four or five blocks from the beach, uh, single parent, poverty, uh, you know, being misdiagnosed up until 11th grade. Mm. Uh, just real tough, not knowing my father, still don't to this day. Mm. And just all of the, you know, challenges, man, and the, the struggles that come with navigating through all of that, trying to find yourself, who you are, what you want to become. And and when you're poor, you know, you don't have as many opportunities, obviously, as, as people that aren't poor. So you have to develop that mental toughness real early, you know, that life or death mentality. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was tough. So for those who kind of gloss over the effects of being poor and how it affects your psyche, how it affects so many things in, in particular as a young person talk to me about the conditions you grew up in oh man uh i mean you know when you when you grow up in in the ghettos man i mean you know uh you're surrounded by prostitution you're surrounded by drugs uh you know uh there's food shortages that you have to contend with and a lot of people you know that hadn't gone through that don't realize just statistically you know, when you're malnourished, your your emotions, your brain don't think the same. You know, so that's just a constant because you, you know, you're not eating not only proper foods, but sometimes you don't have enough to eat. Mm. And so those things, man, weigh on you. And then you grow up and you're constantly, especially if you're black, you're being looked at as as another per, you know, as 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 an as the other, mm-hmm. uh, as less than. And then you begin to develop, you know. Unfortunately, many of us, we develop, you know, this like in a sense that we're inadequate, this inferiority complex to a degree. And if we're fortunate, we fight out of it. And a lot of us get to this point where we're able to fight it. And and and, and but that's 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 a lot what you're dealing with uh, day in and day out. And on top of that, having Tourette's syndrome to add to that mm. and not even knowing that you have Tourette's syndrome, you're just being told you have habits, thinking you're crazy. Mm. that's another level so talk to me more about the misdiagnosis of your Tourette syndrome and the effects of that as you were growing up man you know uh we went to the doctor i remember like yesterday i'm sitting in there man and he tells my mother that well he has habits they come and they go mm. <laughs> and then he prescribed these huge orange pills that looked like they had jelly in the inside and it, uh, boy, I, I couldn't take them for long before I start throwing them into the cinder blocks, uh, giving my mother the impression. But, you know, just to tell everybody, and you know in your, your young mind, you can't really put your finger on it, but we didn't trust, trust what the doctor tell you. But still mm-hmm. something wasn't right about just these are habits, they come and they go. So most of my life was like, man, these are habits, they come and they go, and I would try to explain it. And... Uh, but yeah, that my mother took me to the hospital. They put EKGs in my head, told me I had to stay up for like 24 to 48 hours. I couldn't sleep. I don't know what that was for, to no avail. Uh, and just going through all of that, man, just trying to figure out what's what's wrong. You know, uh, my mother for years uh, thinking that uh, I was not listening to her, you know, because I started off with blackouts at first. I wouldn't, you know, just wasn't ticking like verbally and throwing my arms and stuff like that. Neck, popping my neck. So 
I would, it looked like I was going to sleep. And she said, hey, boy, don't go to sleep without washing those dishes. Next thing you know, I got a slap across my eyes. I said, mom, I'm not asleep, right? And she felt bad years later, you know, because she didn't know that I was, I was dealing with that, that condition. So you were poor. You were dealing with a condition that was misdiagnosed. And kids can be some of the most brutal critics of one another. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you as a student in elementary and middle school and high school navigating those challenges? Oh, man. Like you say, to navigate going through all of those different levels of grade school, man, and trying to hide what is almost impossible to hide. Because like you say, children are brutal. They'll call you names. When you have people that that can see your condition, you have to you have to make sure that even more so, man, you the kindest. You get along with people for the most part, but still they're gonna come at you. They're gonna joke. I can't even remember all the names they used to call me. But I think one of the things I was blessed to have at my advantage, man, I was able, I was a great, great in uh, sports. Mm -hmm. And so if they did try to jank on me and talk to me, when I got them on the basketball court, I try to take it out on them, <laughs> you know, and, and, and give them that get back. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. But it was it was brutal. But also, man, it was difficult to learn because mm -hmm. while I'm sitting in class, I'm so busy trying to stay still and 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 not have the vocal and verbal tics so that people won't ridicule me and chastise me. So it was hard. You can't possibly listen to the teacher and learn while you're also trying to sit still. Wow. And that, that made it difficult, which ended up leading to me being uh, admitted into a slow learning class in junior high. Wow. Yeah, and I, I said, Mom, I'm, 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 I don't need this class. It's just that it takes me longer to get it because of my, my condition. But she put me in there anyway. And if it wasn't for that white school teacher, they gave us about a couple of months. He said, if you can show me you don't belong. And so I buckled down. He said, you don't. I said, that's what I've been trying to tell y'all. And wow. they got me out. But that was humiliating for me, man, to go through that. When did you fall in love with basketball? <laughs> uh, man, I fell in love with basketball. I would say the love fourth grade. I was like 19 years old. And it was something that, I mean, I flirted with a lot of sports like a lot of us did, but Basketball was something, and two, having to rest, man, putting on all of them uniforms, football, how long it took, it was just taxing. So basketball just came more natural for me. It was easy. All I needed some shorts, you know, <laughs> a basketball and go. And so I just, it was something, man, the fluidity of it, the creativity, you know, just the angles. And I just, and it came, it came more natural to me. Uh, and that's when I fell in love with, at like nine, 10 years old. Who were some of your favorite players that you watched or admired as you started to play the game? Man, you know what? I mean, a lot of the names of people, well, you know, the Isaiah Thomases, you know, all those guys, man. Uh, you know, I came, I, we, we saw the Atlanta Hawks a lot. So we saw Dominique Wilkins. And I can't remember all their names now. Uh, uh, Eddie Johnson. You know, there's a lot of players, man, that we watched. But my guy my main guy, and it's funny because our games are not, I mean, he was exciting, but he wasn't really like a 
flat out shooter and handle the ball like that. You would think I would have been fascinated at somebody my size, but Dr. J, man, was my guy. <laughs> Mine too. I look, man. I look. <laughs> But it was a lot of a lot of what made him my guy too, man. Was just how he carried himself. Yes, I, I always loved dudes that man get down, down but yet they were humble. Mm. You know, I was just attracted to that man. He was just classy dude. Still is, you know. Yes. What I mean? Yeah. Yes. 